Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Bob Gillespie. And before we get to Bob, I have some announcements to make. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com, and there you'll find all the stuff that a website does. (laughs) You can find photos of our guests. You can find uh, some stories that I've written, some stories that some of the guests have written. You can find links to their social media, and you can find links to our social media. And by social media, uh, the number one thing I like to post on is Instagram. We're Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on X. We have a Facebook page, and we're on pretty much all the streaming devices. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it, we're out there. So if you listen to us on those platforms, and most of you do, I ask you that you please give us a good rating. Maybe say a few nice things because that helps our presence there and helps more people find the show. So that would be a cool thing for you to do. If you want to write me for suggesting a guest or maybe you think you'd be right for the show or you have travel questions or you just want to say cool things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Bob Gillespie is a guy I've known for 30 plus years. Bob, uh, we started out in comedy together in Chicago, oh, those many years ago, in the previous century, in a time we like to call the 90s. Grunge was happening. We were wearing our Doc Martens and a lot of flannel for some reason, doing our Bill Clinton jokes and freezing our butts off in Chicago. Well, Bob still lives in Chicago. Bob is and was always a smart guy. A funny comic, but he realized early on that he had a talent for doing other things, most notably business. So over the last 30 years or so, he's become very successful in business. He started a family. He raised a son who is now going to be graduating from high school this year. So he's in the same position as a lot of people my age and a lot of my friends when their youngest or only kid is finally graduating high school. They are free to roam around. They are free to leave or move. And a lot of them are moving. And if they're from Chicago area, most of them are moving to warmer climates And uh, Bob will be no exception. Uh, He's uh, planning to move to uh, Costa Rica. And I've wanted to get Bob on the show for a while because I've noticed, as we've stayed Facebook friends, that uh, he got around a lot and gets around the world a lot. Uh, He's been to a lot of places, uh, business reasons mostly, but also for fun. But he lived in uh, London for a little while in the late 90s. He lived in Istanbul for a little bit. Uh, later on, and so uh, he was always posting stuff from these exotic locations, and I kept meaning to say to him, hey, you got to do the show sometime. Well, finally I did. I reached out, and uh, he was more than happy to do it, so we did a Zoom call uh, with him back in Chicago, and we caught up. If I've done anything well over the last 30 years, it's maintain a good group of friends. And yes, the internet and social media has a big help in doing that. 
I always wonder if things like Facebook or Instagram and all social media didn't exist, how many people I would have managed to stay in touch with. It is a great tool for all its time-sucking vampire <laughs> disadvantages. There are, there are great advantages to social media, and that is I would have lost contact with a lot of people if not for it. So, Bob, I haven't seen in years, but it was great to, to uh, see him, at least on Zoom. And hopefully we'll meet up again um, in a, in a uh, fancy location somewhere around the world. Or, uh, you know, maybe we'll attend a sporting event. He's a big sports fan like me. He's been to a lot of uh, soccer matches around the world. So I apologize already for a little bit of the soccer talk that will happen during this conversation. But he also recognizes that sports, as I've recognized that it's a a great way to learn about a certain culture and the people in it. It's a fast, easy way to get to know people and on and on. But I got to do one of my favorite things to do, which is catch up with an old friend. And the fact that that friend loves to travel and loves to talk about it, all the better. Please enjoy my chat with Bob Gillespie. Bob Gillespie, it's great to see you again. It's been uh, how long? How long? Uh, I don't mind. I thought you would stand up in Chicago. Probably came and saw your show maybe uh, a couple years ago, maybe? It was 2019 was the last time I was there. I did that some shows. Probably... Yeah. Downtown you came? Or was yeah, I out of St. Charles? Okay. No, yeah. It was, downtown. it was downtown. Yeah. Yeah. I think we even might have gotten a cocktail afterwards. Probably. Where Where do you uh, live these days? Where, what part of I town? Lived at, uh, like up by Lane Tech. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, You're still in the city. Yeah, yeah, for another uh, till till uh, September first ish. Then my son goes to college, and then uh, we're gonna stage uh, down either to uh, Fort Worth area or to uh, Vegas area uh, for like three or four months because my work. Uh, what kind of this is boring, Mike? What kind of game? <laughs> 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 I was gonna do that whole story, but uh, yeah. So uh, I, I need to I need to work in the fall in the U.S., but uh, sort of to stage to one of those uh, no tax states. Uh, cause there's no reason to stay in Chicago. And then, uh, and then actually moving to Costa Rica in January of 2025. That's exciting. Okay. We're going to get to that. But, uh, first when you talk about work, uh, when people ask me what you do, I, I know it's computer related and that's about as far as I can get. So in your elevator, uh, pitch, I'm talking to you and going, so what do you do, fella? What do you tell sure. me? Sure. Yeah, actually, I do venture capital now. So what I do is uh, I, I was a technologist for a long time. I, I majored computer science and wrote code and stuff and then uh, started a couple companies in the technology area. And then I got ex- – that's exhausting. And then uh, <laughs> now I do uh, venture capital. So what I do is we have we have some money that uh, a corporation gave us that we, uh, that we manage and now we invest in technology. And we try to grow those companies and sell those companies and uh, provide value. So like DocuSign was one of our early investments. So that's what oh. we're trying to have happen. Nice. Okay. So now your oldest boy, oh, your, your only, only son or is he, uh, or you have other kids? Yeah, no, thanks for knowing me so well, Mike. Uh, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I cannot remember. I can't keep track of all my friends' kids. Yeah, no, I've just got the one son. He's, uh, yeah, he's a Finn. senior. Uh, yeah, Finn. Yeah, but See, Tech, I know so. his name, jerk. Yeah, no, I, you caught me. Um, but yeah, so he's the uh, only one, which was, it was the perfect number for me. Okay. So, and, uh, so we're at that point in life where I, I've talked to people where, you know, they're doing the same thing. You know, all my friends back in Chicago and stuff, a lot of, uh, you know, once that last kid's gone and especially the pandemic, um, they could see, wait a minute, I can work from anywhere. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and they've yep. gone, you know, so, um, uh, you've been working worldwide for quite a while. 
and I've been following your travels and we, we, we almost miss each other. We, we tend to overlap in a lot of the same places. I've yeah, we've had, I think the last time I was in Costa Rica, maybe four years ago, we usually, I think you even stopped, talked about stopping by you like a day and I yeah. was just too far yeah. from it. But yeah, you and I have overlapped a handful of times. The Dominican, I think maybe one time we <laughs> sure. were close. Especially with uh, cruises and stuff, but I'm only in there yeah. for like six, seven hours. So I can't really, I don't have time to go see you unless you happen to be right near the port. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you go in, are you visiting these companies to invest in? Is that why you're going around the uh, earlier on, I was living. So I, I, uh, I got an opportunity to go live in London for a couple of years. Uh, I was doing technology, uh, very sexy, Mike, in the insurance space. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All t- and all insurance goes back uh, to, to London, back to the London claims market, back when okay. they used to uh, insure, you know, ships and stuff, right? They would, you know, insure merchant ships. Lloyd's of London. Uh, we all know it. At Lloyd's of London, I that's that's was one of the one of the people we worked for. So I, I was I lived there for about two years, and then I lived in Istanbul, uh, doing startup stuff, um, which is a whole incredible story about the, sort of the de-evolution of sort of Turkey as a entity, which is very interesting. But uh, so I got to go do that there. But most of my travels, I've been lucky that uh, you know it's, it's been mostly for pleasure. Um, those two trips where I lived abroad for two years were were work. But uh, the vast majority of our investments are, are U.S. based um, for me. Uh, so I, I, I pretty much work virtually and then I can travel for, for, uh, for fun. So it's been, great. been lucky great. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what years were you in London? I was in London in 98 and 99. So uh, yeah. So 98, 99 was the two years that I was there and then kind of went back a lot for like the next three years. So, what a great but, fun time to be in, in London because it was like – so much stuff was happening. You're still there in the Tony Blair years. It was pre 9 yep. 11. So it was, uh, boy, that must have been not too far after. So I, I left Chicago in 96. And had yep. you, had you had stopped doing stand up by then? Uh, I, just, I stopped. I just stand up all the way through 01. So uh, okay. I started my first company in September of 01. So uh, that was when I sort of had to make the decision for your listeners that care. Uh, I didn't stand up <laughs> for 11 years, Mike. That's where we overlapped. Um, and you know what it's like, you know, you can do it, but it's, it's, once you do it, it's really hard to do it or not. Like you either got to do it or not, Yeah. you know? And I didn't want to be sort of a part-timer taking away stage time from guys trying to make a living. And I kind of got the chance to, to, you know, start a company. I'm like, all right, well, you know, I think I kind of, you know, I, I kind of got to make a decision here. It was, it was the right decision. I, I, I miss stand up. I, I miss lots of things about it, but you know, um, made the right decision. But yeah, 11 years was how long I did stand up. So talk to me about uh, going to London. You probably, I'm assuming you had never lived out of the country before. No, I think I'd only been to, God, maybe I'd been to Mexico for an afternoon and maybe to uh, Canada <laughs> for a couple of days. Like it was, I didn't travel at all till like I was 30. And then, uh, and then, you know, but I, I'm from a small town in Wisconsin and I did not enjoy growing up there. Um, and I, I was very much like the first time my parents took me to New York, I'm like, yes, this, like Chicago, <laughs> yes, this. Like I, I was like, I was very much, you know, a city person in a, in a small town kid. So I, I knew that travel and different play, I wasn't intimidated or afraid of anything kind of, and then doing stand up, you gotta be a psychopath anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. um, so I, I just didn't really have any sort of, uh, it wasn't the fact that I didn't want to travel or didn't know about it. There was just so much of the U S to do. So I moved to London in 98, um, and just, it like blew my head off. It was just, it was amazing. Right. And it was, it's so different now. Cause I was just there this last summer and in 98, not really the internet. I mean, not really. Um, you would talk to people like if you're in England now and you talk to people in London, like, you know, like 
they know about the NBA. They know about the NFL. They're into it. I know all the soccer. You were talking the other <laughs> right. day, Mike, you're, you're a Tottenham guy and I'm a Arsenal guy. Like <laughs> that didn't happen in 98. I couldn't name, I knew Man U. That was all I knew. Right. Um, the, the thing that, that, that Brits kind of knew about us then, and it was terrible, terrible, was Jerry Springer. That's what they knew. Oh yeah. From, uh, I remember the first time I went there. So I traveled out of the country. This was 89. Um, and all they knew when I said I was from Chicago was Al Capone. That was the first yep. thing that went in their head. And then when I went back in the in like uh, late nineties, early two thousands, they knew uh, Oprah, uh, Michael Jordan, yep, and um, house music a little bit. They would bring up that was the yep. first trip. There was house music, and um, and married with children. <laughs> <laughs> better better than Springer, because I would yeah. get this all the time in their English accent. Talk to the hand. I would get that a lot. So and I, that doesn't get wearing at all, Mike. You never get no, tired no. of that. And you also you also never get tired of a, a, a an English guy telling you everything that's wrong with America, which and believe me, I know we've got our problems. But uh I would ask them, have you been there? And they would say no. <laughs> that was course. like my, I'm I'm here. I'm in I'm on King's Road in London having a drink with you. <laughs> trying to learn about you people. Um, was there was there one moment there that really stands out that you were just like a culture shock moment or somewhere you that you made a, made a big faux pas or um something? you know it was uh, I I I think the thing was just that we are as as I was over there for business is that we're very hard driving and like, you know, your, 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 your professional life is that you gotta be kind of aggressive and you kind of, you know, you, you, we're very entrepreneurial. Like the great thing about America is American dream. That's a thing. Uh, in Britain, especially back then, it was very, very like still like your class and your, you know, there was the posh people and there was the working class people. Yeah. And, you know, uh, some of my friends were sort of, you know, West Ham fans <laughs> that, uh, you know, they, instead of saying thought, they would say fault, you know, they would, all the F's and things like so. Um, you know, the language and the class thing was like, you know, I would talk about like where I wanted to go with my life and they would stare at me like I was just completely insane that, you know, that we could have these dreams that Americans have. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's good things and bad things about that. But I think that's one thing that I sort of was really sort of abrupt to me was kind of, um, you know, almost how Brits have that sort of downtrodden stay in your place sort of view yeah. of the world a little bit that we don't have here. There's a great um, quote I read. It was from Elvis Costello. I think it was in a Rolling Stone interview from way back, like in the 90s or something. But they asked him, like, mainly the differences between, you know, living in America and and, and in England. And he said, you know, every small town has that house on the hill, you know, the big house on the hill. And he said that um, kids in America look at that house and they're like, oh, one day I'm going to have that house. You know, one day I'm going to that's going to be me. And then in England, he said, we grow up in that small town. We look at it and look at that big house and go, one day, I hope that old bastard gets what's coming to him. <laughs> <laughs> he said, that was <laughs> that was the difference. And there is a that's, bunch that's, of that. Yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah, but, although not you know, the way we are, it's like, uh, now I'm going to go rob that house. Maybe that's what we think. In the yeah, United right, States right. Where's, where's mine at? Well, I mean, I think it's just, and this comes from being in a really entrenched old culture. You just get set in your ways and... If you remain the same class for generations after generations after generations, you start to believe, well, this is it. Yep. You know, you just kind of accept it. And we see it here, I think, in it tends to be in either poor white or poor black communities, I would say. You know, I mean Absolutely. people like if to pick on that trap. Yeah. If if you're like four or five generations in your family, you're still poor, then you gotta look around and just go in, well, the hell, it's not for us. 
So then right. you just try to, you know, if you got to scam the system, scam it. It's not fair anyway. Um, you know, people pick on immigrants, but it's not like they're, they're the hardest working people I see around, you know. Absolutely. And they believe in the American dream more than anybody. The one place that I saw this and, and, and I was really disturbed by sort of that lack of movement is, have you been to Cuba, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been, have you been there twice? I have not been there twice. I was there right. uh, maybe around 2009, 2010, okay. and I snuck in through uh, Cancun. Okay. So I went in 2000, I'm going to say, I'm going to say one or two um, with a buddy of mine and we went through Toronto and we went down there and we had a great far, if, if, if any people, it, it's a phenomenal experience, right? It's great. Um, but it's sad because it's 89. It's a, it's a mistake of history. They're 89 miles off our coast and they are dirt poor and it's terrible. Right. Right. So we went there and my, uh, uh, I'm a big history dork. So we were hanging out at the, uh, the hotel there where, um, uh, when, um, uh, uh, uh Batista, uh, Fulgencio Batista, the guy who got kicked out later on, um, Batista actually has a coup in the thirties and all of the, uh, government is holed up in this hotel and Batista takes the army and he goes and he shoots up this hotel and the pockmarks are on the hotel and it's, there's flamingos running around now the hotel. And it's just, I can't remember the name of the, the place, but it's this amazing, incredible place to see in, in Havana. Well, we're getting a bar, uh, a drink at that bar. And just a, a guy comes up to us, just a Cuban guy, and he's got his little daughter, and he, he's hustling, he's just working, but he's not, you know, he's not scamming us. He's just talking. He's like, hey, how you guys doing? You know, this isn't really Havana, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Actually, we're staying in a neighborhood. Uh, we just came here to see the history because we wanted to see the building. And he's like, oh, you want to see real Havana? I'm like, oh, absolutely. So this guy and his daughter just invite us to his house in 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 in, in uh, central Havana, not Havana Pieja, not like the yeah. nice, like central, you know. Ghetto is the wrong word, but yeah. the, the barrio, right? We go to this guy's house. He's got water underneath his floor where he just picks up a board in the waters and they put a bucket under there. Uh, they have a they have a, a Russian stove from 1940. Yeah. Uh, they have a, a refrigerator from the 40s. I mean, it's it's you know they're poor, but they were the nicest, most giving people. And the, the they tells the wife we're coming, and uh, and they they take their chicken, they make us a meal, and now me and my buddy Dave, we're like the bells of the ball, right? We hey, here's here's for us, here's $9. Go buy three cases of beer and a thing of rum. And they got a cassette <laughs> player with the things broken. And we just had the greatest time. It, 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 a cultural exchange. We have so much fun. And I got their email address. And four years later, I went with my brother. We went back down. And I emailed them because I said, such a great time. We went and saw them the second time. And Mike, it was so depressing because nothing had changed. They were just four years older. Yeah. Nothing was different. Their place was still terrible. They had the same jobs. They had the same, like they just had, like me, like my life had just had gone on and I was, you know, able to do more things and, you know, grow. And and they were just like, yeah, no, it's exactly the same. Like it was four years ago. It's exactly the same. Yeah. And, and it was, it, isn't it struck. amazing? Yeah. It's, struck. um, but then they got me there. It was just like, um, yeah, they, yeah, it's really, really poor. Um, but they do the best with what they got and there's a great spirit there yes. of everything. But uh, the thing that really hit me first was the uh, complete lack of advertising. There's no signs. There's no nothing. The only signs Except are up for are like political, yeah, political billboards, and that's it. Yep. Yep. It's incredible. There's no Coke sign. There's no beer yeah. sign. It's, it's uh, remember the revolution and uh, and uh, the the grandma wasn't that the ship? The grandma, the the boat that uh, Fidel took across, <laughs> and remember, be like Shay. That's it. You're right. right. It is. Uh, and then when we came back, we landed in Cancun and we had a layover night in Cancun. And then like, I was like kind of freaked out for like, 
like just the noise and the lights <laughs> and the crazy. I was like, dude, this is too, way too much because Havana's like quiet and you know, it, yeah, and you it, it, was, it. A, it was very odd. Yeah, and it's so crazy when you think like when I got there and just like, well, everybody's really poor. Castro's still in power at the time, you know, and still kind of is. Um, but it's like, who won here? And then you realize the embargo is just the dumbest thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. and it's all like Europeans there. I mean, it's like we're the only ones who aren't there. It's Canadians, right. and you know, there's people there, tourists, and just going, who is this helping? Yeah, they're nobody. Still in poor. The, <laughs> they're still no poor. Yeah, no political party wants to change that law and then never win Florida ever again. So that's yeah. a big part of the part of the reason, right? But yeah, it just hurts the. It's just hurting human beings. That's all it's doing. Right, but the music was great, and the um, yeah, incredible place, the spirit of the people, and yeah. It's, how's your Spanish these days? Speaking of moving to Costa Rica, uh, let me bring up my phone, Mike, and let me tell you, I have done, I believe, three hundred and seventy-one straight days. Let me. I was back like, for the record. I know this is being recorded, Mike. Is your Duolingo? Uh, Duolingo. I'm on. Uh, I haven't done it today, but I'm at three hundred. It's loading, Michael. Three hundred and seventy days. I'm doing yeah. okay. Yeah, I got one. So, uh, so uh, we get to. Uh, we get to a place. It is actually this is in um, God, where was this? This is in Guatemala, and um, uh, we went to. Uh, there's these uh, two volcanoes, and there's a lake between them, and uh, Santiago Atatlan, I think is what it's called. And uh, you go there, but you, and there's a Mayan community there, but there's no roads there, so you have to go and you have to go down to the boat, and you got to get one of these these boat guys to take you across the lake, and then you can visit the Mayan community. And there's a, a nice Airbnb there, anyway. So. Uh, but we're you're in the sticks of Guatemala, and they don't speak English. So uh, if my Spanish, my very good Spanish, Mike, I walk up and I uh, I'm going to give you a little Spanish. You're going to get this. Hopefully, you'll probably get, some people are going to get the joke right away. But I'm thinking, uh, how much does it cost to take a boat across the lake? That's all I got to ask. And I looked in the book, and the book's like it's like twenty bucks. So I'm like, all right. So I kind of know about twenty bucks. And I'm sure uh, travelers, you've had this happen, Mike. Sometimes they'll ask, they'll act like you don't know what you're saying. And act confused, and then they'll double the price, and then it's just oh, it's just a confusion thing, right? And right, we've all had that happen, right? So I said, I've got it all set. I'm practicing my head, and I go up to the guy and I say, uh, I say, cuánta cuesta? Uh, uh, tomamos, we take uh, uh, la ducha para la lago, and he's like, uh, what, what? And I'm like, okay, cuánta cuesta? How much does it cost tomamos to take uh, la ducha, the boat? Uh, parallel yeah that's right so i say it again and he's like i don't i don't understand and i'm like okay look i know it's twenty dollars stop being a jag and then i realized <laughs> that i'm saying uh ducha instead of lancha lancha is boat and i'm asking how much does it cost to shower across the lake yes. what i've been yeah this man uh and he's like with me like I, he's very confused what i'm pr- proposing here <laughs> um so uh so i gave him forty dollars a boy that's right. Yeah, that was bad. And then also uh, the word for pregnant and the word for embarrassed are entirely too close. I've screwed that one up as well. <laughs> I believe it's embarazo and embarazada, I believe, are the two words. I've jacked that one up as well. Yeah, Those bad. are my two terrible yeah, and it's funny you. They see you coming. A for some, you cannot pass as a, a Latino or pretty much anything else <laughs> as a native anywhere other than like Ireland or uh, in the UK. You can maybe pass. I, the whitest I man in the world. That. I have to wear sunscreen when I go to a movie, Mike. That's what I needed. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I mean, in Ireland, I'm check sure my you, phone. You I get, get a little pink. Have you gone to uh, Ireland and seen the? Uh, yeah, where, where your people are from? You know what part your family's from? Uh, I'm from uh, Gillespie, Scottish. So oh, Scottish, uh, I have okay. been to uh, been. To, uh, I'm, yeah, so, uh, Gillespie's a Scottish name. I'm Irish, Scottish, Norwegian, and Polish. So I'm the whitest of oh, the whitest of white. Yeah. You're like transparent. Yeah. 
I am. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Scotland, I, I have been to uh, my, my great grandmother is from uh, Aberdeen. If you've oh. been to Aberdeen, Mike, it's uh, up not. on the it's up on the North Sea up there. It's uh, the Granite City, Mike. It's cold <laughs> and actually relatively boring up there. Yeah. It, you think every day that they uh, they made their way across across the ocean. Absolutely, because Aberdeen is, it's fine. We went on a nice walking tour. There's a couple things to see there, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's one of the few places where when I say Gillespie, I don't have to spell it. Gillespie's not a super complicated name, but in Scotland, they're all over it. You oh, know? sure. Do so, um, so when you were in London, did you use it as a base and explore all of Europe? I mean, that's what I envy about them. I and mean, you can go anywhere from London. You can go to Africa for the weekend. Yeah, I did. I uh, probably not as much as I should have, you know, because I was I was I was exploring London very much. But um, you know, I went to Barcelona, I went to Amsterdam, I went to Heidelberg, I went to uh, Edinburgh, and I went to uh, Dublin, and then did I went to Belfast. So I did use it not as much, you know. If doing it again now, I should have done it like like every other weekend, right? Just pick <laughs> a place and go. I, I should have. Um, but you know, on the weekends, London's such a, an incredibly lively place and you can just get swallowed. I mean, shit, the Brits never leave that place. You know, I they mean, never leave. Talk I to mean, a Brit and I would tell them I was going to London. Hey, Bob, where are you going? I'm going to Dublin. Oh, I've never been. You know, it's like going to Wisconsin. It is like, <laughs> it's like going to Racine if you're in Chicago. Like it's not hard. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. It's, um, it's a massive city. People don't realize it's just, you know, it's like 10 million people, I think at least. And, um, I remember I, I was staying in, uh, Chiswick. Uh, in East London, no, West London, I'm sorry. And um, I was going to go, I was going to wake up and go to uh, a Crystal Palace match the next yep. day, which is in way in South London. And I didn't realize how far, it was like three trains. I had to go, <laughs> I was already late. I was way hungover and I got off on the wrong stop and ended up missing the entire thing. So that was my, <laughs> that was my Crystal Palace story. Did- did you already have tickets? No, no. I was just going to oh, wing well, my way in, worked. but uh, it was no big loss there. But uh, it was far. It was way farther than I thought. Yep, I've been to uh, I've been to Fulham. I've been to Cra- uh, Craven Cottage. Yep, I always wanted to go uh, there. It's cool. I've been to uh, both uh, Old and New Arsenal. I've been to White Hart Lane. I've been to Loftus Road, where QPR plays. Yeah, I've been there. I've been because I could walk to QPR from. That was the last one I've been there. I could walk there from Chiswick. So I walked to uh, QPR and I I went to see my first match. I went to was West Ham at the old Upton Park. Oh, Upton Park! Yeah, and, uh, people. You and I actually talk about we bore your listeners. Yeah, we, we we go on a way tangent here. But I'll tell you what, though, this this is true. Is that I think if you want to know, maybe just because my my whole family sports people, but I think if you want to know a society by being involved in their sports, actually helps you understand them better. Oh, I, I've then, said this many times. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I've seen, I saw a game in Morocco that was out of control. Like it was the only, it was the only game I've ever been at where I was like, it was dangerous for me to be there in Morocco. Well, that's what gets me to your next stop, which was uh, Istanbul, because the kind of the scariest one I went to was uh, Besiktas. I'm probably saying that wrong. No, Besiktas. Besiktas. I saw, I saw that game. Yeah, I saw that game in um, in Istanbul, and it was just a bad vibe. It was just yeah, I went through three checkpoints going through. There was riot police everywhere, and it was just a regular game. It wasn't even a big rival. I can't even remember where the other team was from. They were from outside of Istanbul. But, um, yeah, I had to take, they took all the coins out of my pockets because people throw them on the, at the other wow. – you know, at the fans or at the players. Um, and then people were emptying their pockets. They were like dead batteries and people that were, that were <laughs> And even uh, – and they ended up winning like 4-1, but even then they didn't seem happy. You know, it was just like – at least in games like I've seen in um, 
in Brazil or in I went to two Boca Juniors games in Buenos Aires. Um, it was rough, but it was like at least singing and like a, a jovial vibe in the stadium, you know. Here it was yeah. just kind of like, I don't know, serious and just kind of not well, as fun. Morocco was in a big like Olympic type stadium. Imagine like the Rose Bowl, like that really flat, you know, really flat yeah. and really far away. And uh, all the people with money sit on the sidelines and then the poor people sit in the one end. Well, I'm like, well, I'm just going to sit on the one end. I want to experience it. And uh, the gate to get in, this is, it, Morocco got very, very, I was in Casablanca, um, poor, very poor people. And a gang of like 40 kids would just rush at the gate and cops would beat the shit out of 30 of them with batons and 10 would get past them. And it just happened for, I was just watching it for like an hour and a half. It was insane. And then I'm like, well, I'm not, that's not how I'm getting in. No. So I, I asked, yeah, I asked a ticket guy. It was, it was $2 to get in. And this is how these people were getting into the game. It cost $2. Oh. So I pay my two bucks. I get in, they're frisking, they're pushing like the, the security. They're pushing, they're just pushing regular people with tickets. But I got, I got the white guy discount and the guy goes, oh yeah, sir, come on in. But now it's me and a bunch of really disadvantaged folks that had to, you know, run the gauntlet to get in. And I'm like, Oh my God, what am I doing? And this, I don't know, 27 year old guy, just cause it, when people that are listening to this, go look at what I look like. Uh, he's like, you are not supposed to be here. And I'm like, <laughs> you're right. I am not. And he's like, you come sit with me and you're going to be fine. And uh, basically it was almost like little gangs throughout that territory. Nobody watched the game. Like they scored. It was loud and fireworks and smoke bombs and dancing and chanting and it could have been three to nothing or zero or nil three, and it didn't matter. Nobody watched the game. It was more of a more of a uh, outlet, I guess, for their energy and for their um, you know downtroddenness. But it was it was it, it felt sort of dangerous. But my buddy, uh, I'm now uh, now Facebook friends with the man. But uh, he took <laughs> care of me that day. But it was uh, it was an experience. Yeah, I guess we missed the uh, you know in the '90s they really cleaned up England, you know, because they had gotten really notorious there with hooligans in the '70s and '80s. So we we we've we're seeing the cleaned up version, and I, I'm okay yeah. with that, you know. Because <laughs> yeah. that first game I went to at West Ham, I went with my friend Kathy, and we sat at uh, at what you know West Ham was one of the notorious hooligan clubs, you know, and uh, some old timer was sitting next to us, and uh, I said, "Could I have brought her here?" Like you know, ten years ago, he was like, "No, you wouldn't have." Or twenty years yep. ago, he says, "There's no way you would have brought her here." You know, <laughs> there's I no way you would have been here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Have you uh, have you been up to Manchester? Have you been up there? Uh, yes, I toured uh, Old Trafford, but I I didn't see a game. Okay. I uh, I was just up there in July. I I enjoyed it up north so much. I thought the people were so fun, and and it's it's nuts up there. Those people are bananas. Like if you want to go out at seven o'clock at night and just have an entire community just ripped already at seven o'clock at night, Manchester's your town. <laughs> uh, but but to get to your football violence thing, this I, I I'm I'm a big music guy as well. I read a lot about music history. Um, uh, that Manchester music scene in the late '80s and early '90s, they actually take a lot of credit for the. Um, the the ending of hooliganism because they're the ones that introduced ecstasy into the club scene. So all the laddies, instead of wanting to go to the football and fight, all wanted to go to the clubs and do ecstasy and nobody wants to fight anybody on ecstasy. <laughs> well, so I thought that was a fascinating history tidbit of football hooliganism, a little bit of government crackdown, but a lot of, uh, of, of, of yeah. Molly. Finally, <laughs> finally drugs happening. win. Finally drugs win. <laughs> 
So I thought that was a fascinating piece of history is that uh, drug use stopped football hooliganism. Do you ever do your, uh, like I've done the music, of course I did the whole, uh, the Beatles tour in Liverpool and, you know, I did the Magical Mystery mm-hmm. tour and all that. Is there one in Manchester with all those Manchester bands of like uh, yes. Oasis and uh, Happy Mondays and all the 24-hour party people thing? Absolutely. It's called, uh, it's called, I believe it's called the Manchester Black Cab Tour or Manchester Black City Cab Tour. You can find it. Um Four hours, guy takes you to uh, – it was great. I'll, I'll tell you the one thing that we didn't like about it. But he takes you to uh, Salford Club, which is where the Smiths um, record – there was the famous record uh, back when they used to have you know the albums right. was the picture. Um, he takes you to the bridge where the Joy Division, the four guys are on the bridge. It's on their greatest hits. He takes you to where that shot. He takes you to where uh, – The Hacienda uh, Club was? Yeah, you were a little Hacienda. <laughs> he takes you to where um, – he takes you to uh, – this was weird, man. He takes you to uh, where the Gallagher boys grew up. I'm a big, giant Oasis guy. And if you think about it, I was in London, 98, 99. Yeah. Of course, London guy or uh, Oasis guy. I love Oasis. The two places that freak me out is um, – for any Oasis people out there, there's a, a lyric that says, Mr. Sifter sold me songs when I was just 16. Well, Sifter's is a record store. Mr. Sifter sold him song. Mr. Sifter's still there. I got to go and like meet the guy and like he's there and it's I, like the guy who's in the song. I, I meet this guy. And I'm like kind of weirded out. It'd be like meeting, you know, Penny Lane, like meeting her. Yeah. It was just weird. And then uh, and then um, we went to their boyhood home and our driver, marvelous guy. By the way, Mike, if anybody wants to email me, my email is just bob at chicago.com. If anybody has any questions on stuff, just, you can go ahead and email me. Um, but uh and I'll give you the taxi tour and stuff. But anyway, our driver was excellent. He takes us to where the, the Gallagher brothers grew up. And uh, they're like, yeah, but Peggy still lives there. And I'm like, what? The Oasis? What? And it's just, it's think about what you think a Manchester little brownstone would look like. You know, it's, I don't know, two stories. It's a thousand square feet. And I'm like, wait, she still lives there? And he's like, yeah, yeah. She said, why would I move away from my friends? I don't want a big giant house. So we pull up and I'm looking at the house and she is standing in the window looking at me with a cup of coffee. And I'm like, all right, this is all right. I don't That's know their mother? Is. Yeah. Peggy yeah. Peggy Gallagher was just in the window, just staring at me. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, apparently Noel says it's fine to go by his house. Just don't, uh, just don't bug his man. That's what, yeah. uh, that's what they say. Well, that's and great. then here's the problem that we had on the tour. A uh, very good friend of mine is a Beatle freak. He's a Beatle file, uh, my best friend in the world. Uh, he and I are on this tour with our uh, with our partners. And uh, think about this: Liverpool is the, the you know the Fab Four, and Manchester is uh, uh, thirty five miles away, and they do not like each other at all. Manchester and Liverpool do not like each other. And our cab driver says this to us. He goes, so, and he's serious about this question. He says, "So, gentlemen, I'm not going to do the accent because it's embarrassing. <laughs> so, gentlemen, where would you put like?" Um, you know, the Smiths writing, Morrissey and Marr, would you put them like just above like McCartney Lennon? Like, would you put them like, you know, I, and like my buddy is like, what in He's the like, I would not, you? sir. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so earnest about it. And I don't you know, I mean, the cab for another hour and a half with this guy, but we're like, dude, I, I'm going to put Hall and Oates ahead of Morrissey and Marr, maybe. <laughs> I mean, what Bernie Taupin and Elton John's got to be ahead of those of two course. guys. What are you talking about? But I'm not going to argue with the dude. He's got a chipped tooth. He's from Manchester. He can kill me with his bare hands. I'm not going to mess with this man. But it was, we still joke about it. We're like, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, well, they, uh, that's a great story, man. I, get, I, I, would, I would take that, too. I mean, I'm not as big into the uh, – I got a six-CD box set that somebody gave me. Uh, Pat Francis with his um, music podcast. Sure, uh, big music guy, yeah. 
um, he didn't listen to it, but somebody in a six C- CD set called the the Manchester Sound. It's all eighties yep. and nineties um, Manchester stuff of like all these local bands. And I've sifted through it. There's a lot of crap on it, but there's a lot of good stuff. Yep. So I got more into it, you know, having listened to it. So no, I, yeah, I'm, I'm take that obsessed. Tour for sure. You listen but, to that Stone Roses, the first Stone Roses album. You listen oh, to that yeah. thing. Happy and Mondays just, that, that, and all that, that, those bands. Happy Monday. Oh my God. It's so, I'm just like, obsessed by it. Then the whole the Hacienda and the, yeah. then ecstasy hitting. And it just, it was like this, it was a, it was a point in time. And when you go there, you can feel that point in time. You can like, cause there's, for people who don't know, there's like, there's three giant universities in Manchester. There's a hundred thousand students in Manchester. Yeah. So there's all these arts and music and it has a youthful vibe and, and literally eight, seven o'clock at night, people are just bombed on a Saturday. It's insanity. <laughs> Uh, good so, times, good trip. Yeah, about uh, Istanbul, I got a weird. I mean, as fascinating as it was, and it is fascinating, you know, the, the the time that I've been there. But it's um, again, I got a I got a weird vibe in terms of I don't know if it's uh, a coldness or a violence or something. I saw like a number of fights on the street. Um, <laughs> I saw people yelling at each other a lot for no reason, and um, I know, and now with uh with their president or whatever it's pretty almost a dictatorial kind of place now and and so i saw a quote-unquote protest which (laughs) i saw lines of of riot police and buses and cops and soldiers and stuff ready to crack down on this with this protest and i'm waiting for this protest to go in front of the university it's literally and i'm not kidding you about 15 people uh holding signs (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and there's like a hundred riot cops ready to, you know, jump on them. And one guy's strumming a guitar. It's like 15 hippies, <laughs> the most yeah. harmless thing, but man, were they ready to, to, to just bust it up at any moment. And it was just, I like got, te- I got vibe. tear gas. When I, was there. I got tear gas when I was there. Really? Um, I was in Ankara, which is a capital. So it's way it's inland. It's, it's in, it's, it's in, it's in the Asia side. It's about a, I don't know, a couple hour flight uh, east of uh, of Istanbul, and it was the same, probably the same riots, Mike. Um, it, it was uh, they were starting to crack down on stupid things like um, uh, Air Turkish Airlines um, flight attendants not wearing lipstick, like just absurdity. And um, there had been a larger university protest, and they shot like six kids, like right on Istiklal Street, that main drag there. So this is a couple weeks after that that I land in, in Ankara, and like you said, relatively peaceful protest. It's a lot of old women with one thing they do is they go out and they stand in front of their house and they take a pot and a, and a spoon and they bang on the pot. And this is going on all over Ankara. And then they're also dragging garbage into the street and they're lighting the garbage on fire. Um, and then there's a park kind of up in Ankara. That's maybe, I don't know, it's to my right. If I come out of my hotel, I'm at a hotel, I'm at a white guy hotel. And, uh, to the right, maybe about a half mile up is just going sort of up the slope is this, uh, this park. And I hear the protesting there and you're right. Like the show of force is absurd. It's just students, you know, bitching about whatever. And, uh, all of a sudden I'm just kind of watching and I'm having a beer standing outside my hotel. I'm just kind of, you know, watching it. I actually have a picture somewhere of me standing with a, with a mask on, um, pre way pre COVID. <laughs> and all of a sudden everybody starts running down the hill towards me. Now they're far enough away where I'm kind of like, all right, well, I'm not worried yet. Cause you know, they're not going to be to me in, in a couple minutes yet. I'm kind of watching and they're you know, this crush of humanity is kind of running towards me. All I gotta do is just turn and go in my door. That's all I gotta do. And, uh, as they get by, the, the, the first people kind of have gone by me and now the, the mass is starting to get towards me, but I start hearing like this, like flop, flop, flop sound. And I look up and the, the tear gas canisters are being shot over the top of the protesters' heads. 
So then they have to run through it. And what the cops are hoping to do is create a wall and then you can't run through the smoke and then they beat the living shit out of you. Well, so I'm kind of ahead of the fray, but the tear gas cancers, one literally lands like at my feet, like <laughs> a foot away from me. And I'll tell you what, like, I, and I'm like, okay, time to go inside. Uh, but I didn't dawdle and that thing hit me for, I'm not kidding, a second. And they call that thing tear gas for a reason, man. Cause holy cow, I mean, you're, 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 you, you can't function. I mean, you can't see your eyes weep. And then, uh, because everybody was so ready for the protest, every business along that road had milk just sitting around. So as soon as I walked in, they just started pouring milk. I mean, I was fine like in two seconds, but, uh, oh. but yeah, getting tear gas, that'll, that'll, uh, it's those it, chemicals work. <laughs> when you look back, so you were two years in Turkey? Yeah, I was in Ankara for about a year and then Istanbul for about a year. We What we did is uh, prior to Erdogan and this ridiculousness, um, they're very educated. Uh, Turks are very educated. Um, uh, not not all of them. They've got pro- poverty problems there too, but you know they have very, very good universities. Like the, the, like the, um, uh, the, the MIT of the entire Middle East is in Istanbul. It's called uh, ITU, the Istanbul Technical University. And then there's METU, which is a Middle Eastern Technical University. That one's in um, that one's in Ankara. So they're two of the best universities in all of the Middle East. So they create incredible um, technologies, but what they're really bad at is commercializing the technologies. And then there's also this sort of, we talked about this earlier, in the United States, you create a thing to, to turn into Amazon and to rule the world, right? That's what you do. You try to, you know, why don't we create Facebook, I create Amazon, whatever. In Turkey, it's very much, hey, I created a thing and I got six hospitals to buy it. And now I drive a BMW and I have a Russian girlfriend and that's, that's I've, I've now, I've done that now. And that's all I need to do. It's very much sort of a cultural thing. So what we were doing is going over there and trying to find like industry changing technologies and say, hey, man, you know, this could work somewhere else and then bridge companies in the United States. And we successfully bridged uh, four of them. We've got four of our companies that came over and are all doing, you know, various states of, uh, of business in the U.S. But that was sort of our concept. It just wasn't sustainable because when you would put in, let's take a number, if you put in uh, 1.6 million lira into a, con- uh, into a company at the time, that was like putting a million American dollars into a company. You can go do some business with that. Okay, when I was there, it was 1.6 lira for a dollar. If I looked it up today, it's got to be over 20. I mean, their their inflation now is is 65%. Interest rates are 45% now in, in Turkey. Right. Um, so it just right. became an untenable experience with the way their government is. But I, I, you know, it was it was amazing to see. This is the most fascinating thing about Turkey at the time. This is a country that's always been on the crossroads of do we look east or do we look west? What do we do? And they looked east for a long, long, long time until after World War One when Ataturk took over. And then he said, no, no, we're, we're going to look west. And he did things like everybody's going to pick a last name. That didn't exist before. It was just blah, blah, son of blah, blah. And he changed that. And then they look west, they look west. And then even all the way up through Obama, they were a western looking. They were about to, they were to join the EU. And this was, a, this was the hope of the Middle East. And then Erdogan took over and, you know, not because I don't think he really has any care for his people or for religion, but he, he realized that consolidating people under conservatism and, and, and you know, frightened of the West was a way for him to, you know, become very wealthy and hold on to, to uh, power. So it's been very sad what's happened there. I have some very, very good Turkish friends. They've all left and they all live here now. But uh, it was a fascinating time to be there and see sort of like – God, you guys almost got there. You know, you kind of, you kind of almost got there, but right. now you sort of went backwards again. Well, was there like a? I mean, at this time, you were married, or were you? Uh, uh, let's see. No, I was, I was, uh, I was single the whole time I was in Istanbul. So I was married when I was in England, um, and then I was single for about 
uh, probably five years between when I got divorced and when I met my current partner, Sabrina, who you met. Um, so yeah, I would have been single when I was over there. That's the thing too. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mike, you're a good looking guy. You can, uh, you can get, you, you can have a good time in Latin America without really trying very hard. Uh, you cannot have a good time. And even how good looking you are, Mike, you got no chance in Istanbul, buddy. You got is it, nothing. Uh, is it a Muslim thing? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit Islam and it's also girls go out in packs and it is impossible to peel one of those girls off. That is impossible <laughs> to do. They will look out for each other. They will say no. Like it is, it is, I have, I have one buddy who, and I'm not kidding. He's the only one that I know. And I worked with a ton of American dudes over there. He actually got, uh, got, uh, amorous, but, and I'm not shitting you. He looks like uh, Ryan Reynolds. Like he's that, <laughs> that good looking. But uh, I had no chance over there with my white ass. I had no, no way are you getting lucky in Istanbul. None. Not even, a, uh, you know, in a poorer country when they're looking for a way out. You know, I mean, we see that around the world. I mean, there was like latch on to some dude just, you know, hopefully maybe he'll help me out of here, you know. Yeah, I think that that's I, I think that that's probably Islam um, uh, yeah. quashing that down because I, I like when I was there for two years and like I didn't like I don't think a girl flirted with me in, in two years. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's just a thing that doesn't you know, we would go out as a group and I made a bunch of really good friends. And but there was this was very, you know, it was very like we're in a group and we're being escorted and it was very uh, maybe, maybe I was hanging out with the wrong people. Yeah. I don't know. Time to wait, take that weekend flight to London. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, if not, yeah, maybe go to Romania for a weekend. Oh my gosh, yeah. The um, but it, what years were you there? I was in Istanbul, um, fourteen and fifteen. Okay, so it would be London in in the nineties, late nineties, late nineties, yeah. And then you know, fourteen, fifteen in Istanbul. I mean, you talk about seeing Europe change in that time. I mean, the, I mean. What were the biggest changes you saw? I mean, you saw the, the development of the euro and the, uh, you know, post 9-11, pre 9-11, everything. Um, I think the, the entire the, country's the, changed, you know? Yeah. The big thing, I think, I think this is just a thing I've noticed in my, all of my travels is it's trite to say, but the internet has changed things more because we know each other now. We know more about each other. We know each other's I can just go look up on my phone. Somebody mentioned something. I can bring up my phone and I can read a Wikipedia article about it and learn about it pretty quickly. Right. I can, uh, they see all of our films and they see all of our, you know, they know us really well. Right. They know us really well. Um, good or bad. That can be good or bad. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for us to learn so much more about where we're going that I think you experience a little bit differently. The other thing it's easier to travel. It's a lot easier. I have a, I have a, a book. You've been, you've been in London. I used to have a map, like a book to try to figure out your way through London because good luck without a map. In yeah. that place. But now you just bring up your phone and you're right there. I mean, I spent half my time wandering around asking people where the hell I was at, you know, and you don't have to do that anywhere anymore. But, you know, your experiences are so much different. Um, the Euro with the cross border stuff. Um, you know, I think 9-11 people are, in my experience, are kinder to Americans than they were before 9-11. At least that even, was my experience. Even still, I mean, no, not yeah, not not post two thousand since twenty sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've had some. Yeah. Um, I always uh, tell people all the time. Oh, I got a story about that, Mike. Okay. Uh, so I was in Nicaragua. Um, fantastic place. Uh, actually, uh, poor, very, very poor. Uh, I believe the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere behind uh, Haiti. 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 Yeah. Yeah, have not been there, and uh, you don't want to go there. No. Um. Uh. But. Uh, uh, I, I, like I said, I'm a history guy. So I'm fascinated with the Sandinistas. I'm fascinated with Samosa. I'm fascinated with the Iran Contra. I've read way too much about it. I'm a loser, Mike. <laughs> and um, 
there's a thing called the Sandinista Social Club. It's on Sundays at two o'clock. And the guidebook says something like, for more rum than you can ever handle in beer, go to the Sandinista Social Club and you will be the only tourist there. And I'm like, I am on that. That is like, uh, that is me. So me and my brother go there. And the reason it's called Sandinista Social Club, it was at the first building where the Sandinista government had kind of met and uh, corrugated roof inside courtyard and there's a band playing and there's people dancing and like we pull up and uh and like we walk in and they're like it's a dollar to get in i'm like yeah i have a dollar and he's sort of like you sure you want to go in here and we're like yeah yeah, yeah. we want to go in it's me and my brother and like it was that thing out of like animal house when you walk in and like the music just stops and everybody <laughs> stares at you it was like that and mind like, if we I'm- dance with your dates <laughs> right so my brother has, hasn't traveled much i traveled a bunch and i'm like dude what would be fine they're just they just don't know us they don't you know they don't see white people here so just just let's get a beer and sit down and act like human beings. We'll be fine. So we sit down, everybody's staring at us. Eventually, um, like, a, I don't know, my brother's at the time in his early twenties, I'm probably mid thirties. And a woman asked him to dance. My brother's like, no, no, I'm not gonna dance. I know, buddy, you're dancing for sure. You're dancing. Do not say no to this lady. So he dances. He doesn't know any of the dances. It's hysterical. My brother's a comic. I don't know if you know my brother, Mike, Steve, uh, Steve. Yeah, Gillespie. I met him, Look him up here. I met him out Yeah. Here. So Steve's, Steve's very, very funny. So Steve's dancing like a goof and everybody just, now we're the bells of the ball. Now everybody just loves us. So eventually, a very drunken, this is, a, this is about like the United States and about language problems. Guy comes up to me, he just goes, uh, uh, America. And I go, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm American from Chicago. I fuck America. And I go, uh, okay, yeah, I'm not a big fan of our government either. I mean, I, I know, you know, I know you guys wouldn't be a fan, you know, with the, the whole Iran-Contra thing and dropping weapons to, you know, your countries and uh, wanting to overthrow your own government that we tried to help with uh, Eugene Hassenfuss. That's a whole other story. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just doing my, my thing where I just don't shut the, anything. I just, Eugene Hassenfuss and the Contras and I'm just not, uh, he's like, I just won't shut up. And he's like, uh, and then uh, he kind of stares at me for a while. He's pretty drunk. And then he goes, oh, I use wrong words. I mean, I love America. <laughs> <laughs> so I justified it. I justified it because I thought he was mad at me because he confused right. the two words. So <laughs> gracias, and then you walk away. <laughs> and then, uh, and then he's like, uh, oh, "They're out of rum here." And they were. They said beer left. You want me to go buy him some more rum? And I'm like, "Yeah." So I just peel off some money and I give it to him. And he comes back and gives me no change, no change, no, never. <laughs> yeah, never. And it was uh, I, I, for, I got one bottle of rum for the price of four, but you know he needs the money. That's one thing you get used to, right? Go ahead, right. And take money. Go ahead. Don't treat me like a complete dope, but go ahead and steal fourteen dollars from me. That's I hate the uh, I hate the thought of getting taken and taken advantage of. It just like rubs me the wrong yeah. way. I mean, I, I understand. You know, I just don't like to be hustled. I'll give you the money, yes. but just <laughs> don't make me feel right. Don't cheat me out of it. You know what I mean? I had a yep. I had a dude in uh, this. I two coast street stories for you. I'm okay. going to a uh, I'm staying at a hotel and I'm going to a football match. I'm going to uh, a Euro quali- uh, no a World Cup qualifier. Uh, Costa Rica v. Canada. And I uh, come out of my hotel and I get a cab and he takes me to the stadium there and it's 35 bucks. And I'm like, shit, I don't know. It seemed like a pretty long ride. I don't know. And then uh, and then I get a cab on the way back to the hotel. It was $3. I'm like, right. oh. <laughs> I, know. I know. You, you just know? want to find that first guy. He's like, you know what you're doing. Come on. Yeah. And then um, I was staying like, and they call it Gringo Gulch down there. If you've been to San Jose, but they got all the, yeah. so it's, it's, there's a bunch of the brothels and shit. Or that's not my scene, but you know, it's where all the white people stay. There's a bunch of hotels down there. And this one guy would see me come out of this one hotel every day. He's coming out of my hotel, uh, St. Tomas Hotel, as it was called. And he would uh, see me every day and he'd go, hey, man, uh, what can I get you? Can I get you girls? Can I get you cigarettes? Can I get you Viagra? And I would just be like, okay, the, final, the first two are fine. But what, 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 why are you asking me about the third one? What are you implying, good sir? The, the Viagra? 
Yeah. <laughs> so he would ask yeah. me every single day, every single day he would ask me. And finally I would just, and this is like, you know, kind of the, the go ahead and hustle me or whatever. But I'm like, uh, you know what? I don't need any of that. But, uh, you know, like a good chicken joint. Cause if you show me a good chicken joint, I'll buy, like, I'll buy you lunch. And then he and I went, and I bought him a chicken. Like that's, <laughs> that, like that's, I like that kind of stuff. You know, I'll buy you a chicken. I'll buy you a thing of chicken. And he took me to a place, a local place. And, you know, I don't spend $14 on him for chicken. I got to admit it, it's even in places like Cuba, but you know, basically all throughout Latin America and Asia and even Eastern Europe. And it does get tiring when you're a guy walking by yourself and uh, you're just offered nonstop drugs and women and it's always drugs Constant. and women yep. or worse, but, you know, but um, yep. it, it gets, you know, I was in Medellin was the last trip I took before um, COVID shut down. So I was there January of 2020. And after a while, I got tired of walking around at night, even in a decent neighborhood, because the safest neighborhoods, unfortunately, tend to be more tourist oriented places. But man, they came right. out of the, they see me coming blocks away. And it's just that, you know, in the point, yeah, it's in Africa, it's, it's, it'd be like buy um, whatever little India would be like, buy my little trinkets or they're, they're all selling some kind of crap that I don't need that nobody needs. But um, at least they're, they got something. You know, but in right. God, you know, it, yeah, Thailand, it's, it's, Vietnam, uh, it, it was always um, women. It's always girls and drugs. Yep. Yeah. And it's funny. I was in the Dominican with Sabrina, with my partner, and we would walk. This is this is this is that uh, that first Christmas after COVID. We went down to rented a house on the beach and um, Sasua. It's on the northern coast. Have you been there? It's nice. Um, but she would like we would go out to get dinner. It was everything was outside. Right. So you could do it you know, without too much of a problem, you'd go sit in a big courtyard and you're spaced and stuff and nobody would say boo to me. And then one day she stayed in the place and I went to a walk to get lunch. And it was like, you're literally, it was like cockroaches came out of the joint. Like nobody talked to me and all of a sudden everybody talked to me within two minutes. Yeah. And it's, it's doing these cruises and now we go in these port cities, like in Mexico and stuff like that. And that's how I know I'm getting older. Cause the, they used to offer me a lot more drugs and Coke and everything like that. And walking down there, it's a, Hey, Viagra half off, sir. And I'm just like, Oh <laughs> yeah. man, I got to start dyeing my, my hair again. My buddy and I actually, uh, we have a, a running joke where they always say, my sister likes you, my sister, my sister. <laughs> so anytime, we, anytime that happens, my buddy will be like, Oh, El Hermano, El Hermano is coming to play the brother El Hermano. It's always well, his sister. Yeah. What was the, uh, the most dangerous situation you found yourself in other than the tear gas? Um, um, any run-ins yeah, with cops or anything like that? I haven't, uh, I got, I, I had a cop pull us over during COVID in the Dominican and just, ba- just basically say you're out after curfew. And I'm like, yeah, I know my plane just landed. I'm driving to the hotel. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Give me $20 for drinks. And I'm like, okay, there you go. <laughs> but it wasn't really dangerous. I would say, uh, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, Istanbul hustle. Um, and I knew about it and my buddy was relatively hammered. So this is how the hustle works. And, uh, and I knew it was happening and I begged out of it. Uh, and I said, I'll, I'll tell you the story instead of giving you the whole thing. Mike, here we go. So the hustle is this. You and uh, me and you, me and uh, somebody are hanging out in the main Istiklal bar area. It's the main drag of, uh, of, of Istanbul. Tons of little nookby bars and shit that's been there for a thousand years. And uh, a very nice gentleman will come up and he'll speak really good English. He'll be a Turkish guy and, uh, and he'll buy you beers and shots. He's the nicest man in the world. And, uh, and you know, you get to know this guy and he's fine. And then eventually, hey, man, you guys want to go somewhere else? Because you've been there for a couple hours. Let me show you this cool place. And he takes you to another place, and uh, it's pretty cool. 
and uh, he's, and he buy, he's buying everything. He's the nicest guy in the world. And you're, you know, and we're like, dude, I'll let me buy you one. Like I'm not, a, you know, whatever. And uh, but but he's a, he's a scam guy. So he's really good. He's asking. He's interested. You know, he's he's a con man. And then he takes you to a place that's the best place he's going to take you to. And then you sit down, and they bring you beers, and they bring you a thing of nuts, and then a girl sits down next to you, and now you owe them a thousand dollars. Like literally. And then I, I turn my buddy, I turn my buddy, I won't name his name, but I go, uh, hey man, this is one of those places like we got to go like right now. Like we got to tell them like, we don't want the nuts. We don't want the girl. We don't want it. Now the girls aren't going to do anything. They're just like, you're, you're, they're just going to sit there and talk to you. So, uh, so I'm like, we got to go. And he's like, no, no, no. We're having a good time. I'm like, buddy, this is one of these things. Like, this is going to cut, like, we got to go. And he's like, no, no, I got it. And I, I so I, I kind of like get his attention enough where I'm like, Dude, I'm telling you right now that this is what this is. And if you want to stay, we can stay because I'm not going to drag you out here like a little kid. But I'm telling you. And he's like, no, no, I got it. And then at the end, it was $1,700 for like three beers each. Um, And uh, my buddy paid it. But uh, the scary thing was that, well, uh, funny thing first is this girl sitting next to me and she's, you know, she's my accompaniment or whatever. And they're not prostitutes. Nothing's going to happen. They're literally just, they're there to, you know, this is a scam for people who come in out of town and for rural people and for clearly my buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't speak any dice, four words of Turkish. She doesn't speak any English. So now we're just chatting using our phones with translator and I'm getting out. It's been three hours and I'm bored. So I'm now I'm starting to say like things like, you know, like, uh, okay, if this is going to work, we're going to need, uh, we're going to need four pieces of plywood. We're going to need a Nixon mask and we're going to need some linoleum and we're going to need some tape. And I would just hit and then, you know, translate. And then she would read it and then stare at me like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> so I just did a bunch of that kind of crap. And then the bill came and then, uh, my buddy's like, yeah, I don't have $1,700. And I'm like, dude, what do you, so they put him in a car. They, I had to stay there like in a back room with two terrifying, these guys are either Russian or Turkish. And they're just like, uh, yeah, your buddy's going to a, uh, he's going back to his hotel to get a couple of credit cards and to get a cash card. And we're going to take him to a cash card and he's going to get, he's going to give us $1,700 in cash. I had to sit there for like three hours and I'm like, Jesus, you know, what I, I you know, I knew my buddy had money, but that was, uh, that was relatively scary because, and me like an idiot, all five foot 11 of me and 160 pounds of, you know, sinewy, just dough, just being like, where's Jack? Yeah, where, where's my buddy at? Where is he? Where is he right now? You bring him right now. And they're just staring at me like, I think he just could have kicked the shit out of me for, you know? So, uh, uh, Dana Moa to that story. I have a friend of mine who's insane. Mike, he's an insane person. And I mean that like, He's, he's dangerously crazy when crossed. And uh, he had that happen to him uh, in, uh, he, had a, he had a drug problem for a while and he was uh, pretty looped up on drugs and he had that happen to him in, uh, in Istanbul. So he went to the gas station and got a gallon of gas and poured it on the storefront and lit it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> did they catch him? Did they know? It was no, him? they did not. But he stayed around and he saw people running out of the building and the, the fire engine showing up and shit, but he wow. literally arson the place because he was so mad about the 1700 bucks oh my gosh he's an insane insane person wow yeah yeah Yeah, i hope you don't hang out with that guy anymore uh you know not i tried no not uh no we we, we talk now and then but he's uh (laughs) yeah that's so actually i felt kind of good though because i felt uh 3400 for getting your storefront torched (laughs) give me the um scariest flight you ever had boy you know i don't know if i've had one man i've uh i've not like i've been on I don't know if I've ever had one. Um, oh, lucky. How about I'm worst? Worst, just play uh, out worst flight experience. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, you're flying from Chicago to Phoenix through a storm and you got to go down around and you bounce for five and a half hours. That kind of about, thing. Yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, I, actually, uh, for me, travel is um, the the thing is other people is the thing that I have with travel. Uh, the uh, um, I'm going to put a show on my phone and just without earphones. Oh, that drives me bananas. Watching I, I YouTube. I don't have it in me, Mike, to not say anything. I just don't have it in me. I can't. So uh, I, I just, you know me a little bit. I just, I can't let that slide. So, and I can't even be like, hey, pardon me. Could you just try, I have to be like, hey, does your phone have volume that goes up from there at all? Does it get louder from there? Because the four fucking rows behind us, they want to hear it. Do you have, like, do you have that? Does, is there a button? I'm just wondering, is there a button on your phone? Can you check where the volume goes up from fucking where it is right now? Do you have that? I get the, uh, I got the old, um, Really? I, I, that's my big, sir. Really? <laughs> that's our no, different styles. No earbuds, none. Really, nothing. We're just gonna. The whole room is gonna hear your uh, wacky YouTube videos that you're watching. Really? That's pretty funny. The other I'll do is uh, plane lands. Uh, second, you can get your phone up. Somebody gets on their phone, and then it's usually it's an old guy every time. Every time it's an old guy. I'm like, hey, we just landed. We landed here. Yep, landed here. There's a good flight. We're picking. And I just like and just bellowing so i'll just I, I won't even call anybody i'll just pick up my phone and just start going i'm on the telephone <laughs> i'm on the telephone i'm on the telephone and everybody will laugh around me and the, the jackass on the phone never even understands what i'm doing to him because he's so captain <laughs> mean world so i for me like the flight stuff is I, i'm so good at just turning my brain off and just getting through everything and just it doesn't bother me and i can go through four hours of customs and i don't give a shit but uh, other people are torture. What's the most insane thing you've eat, eaten or drank in uh, another country? Uh, kokoresh in uh, in Istanbul. It's uh, kokoresh is uh, pig intestines. Oh, so they're fried pig intestines. Um, actually delicious. Uh, kokoresh is sort of there. Mike, remember in Chicago, you'd have a couple of cocktails. You go out for a burrito, a super uh, the uh, king burrito. Uh, that's what it is in kokoresh. It's they take fried uh, intestines. Um, they, they cook it up with a bunch of spices. It's really greasy. They stick it on a bun and then you stick that thing in your face. It's actually pretty good, but, uh, it's one of those things you don't kind of wish you knew what it was. You didn't um, go to a donor. You didn't get a donor kebab. Oh, I've gotten those, but that's just like lamb, isn't it? Or something. Yeah. yeah I've had I mean. Um, and then, uh, to drink, uh, agua, uh, was it agua diente? What is that in, uh, in Colombia? Oh. Agua diente? What is that thing? I can't remember. Uh, I got sick as balls on that yeah and then uh and i've had pulque pulque which is like a homemade well it can be homemade but it's sort of a, a milky uh sort of liqueur in uh, in mexico that can make you go blind if you drink the wrong yeah. kind <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm willing to shove anything in my face i'll try you know i'm 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 i'll you know you've eaten bugs and stuff i just haven't been to asia oh, yeah. well you um you're gonna be going to costa rica so that's uh guaro is their local hooch down there I don't and, know if uh, I've had it down there yet. Yeah, beware of that stuff. It's uh, it, it's like moonshine, you know. It's like they every country's got their local poor people, um, you know, hooch that they yeah, their bathtub, up. their bathtub yeah. gin, exactly. Yeah. So Costa Rica, I know it's a big expat place. Why did you pick there over places like you know Panama is very popular as well? Did you look at Europe or something, or was the cost, or was it too far from your parents, or? Uh, good question, Michael. Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, first we, we want it cause we're, we're going to work for another handful of years, um, while we were down there. Um, so one thing was big, so it's time change, right? We didn't want to be in Europe where jacks up your, your time right. schedule to be able to work. So that was sort of one of the big, uh, the big things. Um, the other thing was, um, you know, we thought that, uh, while I'm adventurous, 
you know, El Salvador, I don't, you know, like that new guy down there, uh, you know, he's, he's okay, but I don't need to, if he gets voted out or they shoot him, um, I don't need a guy coming to my house and being like, Hey, that's $800 a month now that you pay me. I don't need that. Uh, same thing sort of in, uh, you know, Guatemala, um, Belize is too small and not like not diverse enough. And there's no kind of commerce there really. Um, Honduras, same kind of thing. So that you're right. It whittles it down. Uh, or Mexico. To, uh, or Mexico. And, uh, you know, yeah, I want to be Panama, Mexico or um, Costa Rica, really. Yeah. And I've been to Panama a couple times, been to Costa Rica, uh, I think seven times now. But there's just it, it, not like a real intellectual answer about it. But I've been there. I just really it just it just feels right to me down there. Um, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that, you know, they have no army. I think that that's awesome. They don't really have a lot of gang problems down there. They don't, the people themselves are not a violent people at all. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're just, it's just not sort of in them. They're kind of the, they're kind of the, they're the kind of the Canada of the, uh, of Central America. <laughs> um, and then Panama, um, you know, you kind of got to live in Panama city. Um, you know, I like Bocas del Toro, but I think you're too far off the, you know, you're a little too far off the grid there. And then, uh, you can kind of live out like up in Liberia area up there in the Northwest. And you still got the major airport there and you're two and a half hours from home. Right. You're yeah. two and a half hours to Miami. You're two and a half hours to Houston or Dallas. So, you know, it's as far from Dallas to Chicago. It is from from Dallas to, to San Jose. So Every time I think about that. A- yeah. It's like my mom still lives in, in Florida. And then I think about like, oh, man, if I uh, live somewhere else, I don't want to be too far from her as she's getting older. But then I think about it. It's like, wait a minute. Like all those places in Central America are a closer trip than L.A. To, right. Yep. To, to uh, Miami. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and I, I think a big thing about living somewhere, like instead of just traveling, and you're on the road a lot, Mike, is like I don't like when I'm gone. Like I don't miss. Like I don't miss the United States. Like I don't think I'm missing anything. Like if I don't keep yeah, up with either. the sports scores, or if I don't keep up with the news, or if I don't like I'm not like oh geez, I wonder what happened on you know I, like I don't have any of that. I'm this sort of I'm never more present in my life than when I'm traveling. I'm right. never more myself. I'm never more relaxed. I'm never more like if I'm with somebody, I'm never more present with them. I'm never more like, that's what I like so much about traveling is I, I get in my head a lot and I, I worry and I fret and I plan and every contingency in my head I've already mapped out and, you know, I got stress, Mike. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> when I travel, when I travel, I just kind of go, well, shit, what do we do? Like my biggest concern is where we, you know, I don't know what you want to do for lunch today. What do you want to go see today? What do you want to, I don't want to have another drink. You want to like, what do you want to do? <laughs> and, I, and I love that. I get to turn my brain off and, and sort of exist. And it's, a uh, you know, yeah. It's kind of why I love it so much. My favorite, my only concern about Costa Rica is like my favorite places were, you know, far from the airport. So it's just like, yeah, it's a shorter flight to uh, Miami, but you still have to, it's still two hours to the airport if you're, yeah. or, or longer if you're living at the beach or wherever you're going. So that's, that would be the hardest thing for me. It's like, yeah, it's a shorter flight, but just getting there and the roads aren't super. Um, yep. So um, well, are you going to be close look- to the airport? Yeah, if you look, uh, if you're, you know, if you're looking at this kind of stuff up there in the northwest, um, near uh, Liberia is the main city. You've got a bunch of beach communities up there that are 40 minutes from the Liberia airport. So you got like Playa Hermosa, Playa del Coco. Um, there's about uh, th- that's all north of like Tamarindo. I think you said you've been to Tamarindo. Yeah, I was in I was in Nosara, which is I think yeah, so that's like way south. So you're right. If you're looking at Nosara, Somara, you know, you're two hours from Liberia, right? You're far. Yeah. But if you're up in that Playa del Cocos, Playa Hermosa, you know, the roads are all good. Um, and you're, you know, 40 minutes from the airport and then those airports, like you're in and out, like in 15 minutes, it's not like San Jose. That's a little bit worse, but, uh, but you know, that's sort of the really, um, you know, it, it's getting developed, 
uh, a lot up there in the Northwest, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of, that's kind of where we're considering because of, of what you said, you're near an airport, uh, you got the beach life, um, and you know, you're not super, super far, but you're also not, you know, you're not, you're away, but not too far. Does the Liberia airport, you still have to go through San Jose to get anywhere or do they go direct any other places? Uh, yeah, they, we actually flew direct to Chicago, uh, from Chicago to Liberia. And oh, then wow. they, okay. um, yeah, American goes through Houston, I believe to Liberia. Uh, well, so if American it's American, it would probably be Dallas, wouldn't it? Or is it Dallas? Well, yeah. if it's American, it's Dallas. If it's okay, you know, yeah, to Liberia. Yeah, so yeah, those are yeah. the two major ones. And then if you need to go somewhere, if you want to go, you can take a you can take the short flight over to San Jose. But Liberia is an international airport that flies to you know to the U.S. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, you got to be excited about this there, whole thing. If you haven't been up there? Let me know. It's uh, it's I give you some some tips and uh. Uh, it's wonderful. We met with a realtor and everything up there. So we're, uh, we're wow. starting to look into it. Yeah. Are you at least going to rent first? <laughs> yeah, we're going to rent, uh, the first year we're going to rent either, uh, in San Jose. If, it depends on how much, it, it depends on how much we got to be by an airport. And also depends on how much money we want to spend. Cause it'd be way more expensive out in Liberia and we got to conserve cash to buy a house. Cause you can't take a mortgage out in Costa Rica. You got to pay cash. So, uh, you know, we got to, um, you know, save up some cash. So maybe the first year we'll rent in the San Jose area or some, you know, kind of, you know, upper class suburbs there, um, development communities, or we'll uh, be in Liberia. But I think we'll probably probably rent for, you know, three, four years, settle in, bankroll some cash. And then, you know, then you got to buy a house with cash and make sure that we want it and make sure that we're, you know, make sure we found our, our place and our people. But the rules still aren't, um, it's not like Mexico where like a foreigner can't buy uh, near the beach or anything like that, that you, or you need to go through a local to front it. Um, cause I did talk to people in Costa Rica and they, they pointed out, they made a sure to say, you know, Hey, this is not Mexico. <laughs> it's yep. easier, easier for an expat to buy here than it is there. Yeah, very much. They, uh, they're very, uh, very foreigner friendly when it comes to all that stuff. The, you know, the, the, all the civil stuff, you set up an LLC and like their tax benefits for being, uh, actually, uh, they want you to buy a land there to become a citizen. You gotta have so much money in your bank account to become a, a resident. So they're using it as sort of as a tool to bring additional money into the country. Um, this is pretty fascinating. Um, I just learned this maybe the last time I was in Costa Rica, like two years ago. Uh, they still have like the, the, like the settler thing there where you can just go like into the jungle if you want and just map out your 40 acres and just put a fence up and be like, yeah, this is mine. And if you do that, yeah. And if you stay there for a certain period of time, I don't remember the exact details. I was talking to a guy who had done it and uh, it's just yours. And then I talked about it. He's like, yeah, he he goes, uh, the thing is it's so far out to do this that like you lose your mind because you're by yourself and I don't have a wife or anything, but you can, yeah, you can still do that in parts of Costa Rica is just go pick out your plot of land and say it's yours. I'm not quite there yet. You know what no, I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there, but for outdoors. the grace of God, you know? Yeah. Not that outdoors. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to, I need, I need a pool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I'd like a, I'd like a toilet with running water, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. If people want to get a hold of you or, uh, like you said, ask you any questions, I love this. You got to explain your, uh, your email, first of all, bob at chicago.com. You told yeah, me sure. last night, but that's a great story. Yeah. Chicago.com. So, uh, yeah. So if you want to get a hold of me, I, I, Michael put up my LinkedIn and my Facebook, although you have to friend me to see any of my Facebook. I don't need stalkers, Mike. <laughs> I get it. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you, if you have questions, if you, anything is interesting to you, uh, you know, whatever, just uh, my email is very easily bob at chicago.com. Um, 
It was great when I was single, Mike. That was awesome because you could yeah. do this. You know, yeah. you go to a bar, you're talking to a young lady and uh, or, you know, a middle-aged lady like me. And, um, and you know, <laughs> you got to ask for a number or whatever. Like, it's always hard to make that, you know, like, yeah, right? But I could always just be like, get her talking about something and be like, oh, yeah, it's really interesting. You know, actually, you're interested. Like, I know, just email me at bob at chicago.com. And they'd be like, what? That's not right. And then they would actually email me about it. I actually got a couple of dates out of it because I'm a creeper. No. It, it uh, looks fake. I mean, it, it looks fake. It does. It's Chicago.com. So yeah. tell, the, tell the story. There's only like five of you with that address, uh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, more than that, but there's not many of us that have it. So what happened was there's this, uh, there's this uh, entrepreneur guy in Chicago, um, super brilliant guy. Like he started, uh, like, you know, he was 20. Uh, he started like an internet service provider, like out of his dorm room and he sold it for, you know, more money than God, like in 1991. And then, in, uh, then he's like, oh, hey, you know what? Uh, this internet thing's going to be a thing. So uh, I'm going to buy a bunch of domains. So he bought like 13,000 domains. He bought guitars.com that he sold for like a couple million bucks. I think he bought uh, telaviv.com. He bought chicago.com. He bought just a boatload of these, uh, these URLs. And uh, use them for different, you know, he sold them. He did some stuff with them. But Chicago.com, he never sold. And eventually he was like, well, I got to do something with this thing. So uh, while he owned it, he's like, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to start doing, I'm start giving uh, email addresses to my buddies. So he uh, <laughs> he just gave me Bob at Chicago.com. And he gave, like, uh, not, don't bother these people. But like, I think like, you know, if you pick a, if you pick a, you know, like, you know, if you pick like the mayor, like Rom, I think Rahm Emanuel is Rahm at Chicago.com. I think J.B. Pritzker <laughs> is J.B. at Chicago.com. Don't tell these people I gave them their email, but, uh, <laughs> but he gave them to all these sort of prominent Chicagoans and then me, cause I was his buddy. That's but, great. uh, yeah, so he's, he's going on to do, he's doing fat. Like he was mining Bitcoin before, like he literally one time bought a pizza for like 15 Bitcoin. He bought, so that's a, I don't know. Oh, that's a bad investment is. now. $600,000 pizza he bought. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. He's got to yeah. be thinking about that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or not. So, uh, you know? yeah, yeah. Or not. He might not be. That's great. All right. And uh, so I'll, we'll have links to uh, all your stuff if people want to get a hold of you. And finally, Bob, stay on the line. I'll talk to you afterwards as we go. We stop recording. But um, what is all this travel and all you've seen around the world? How has it changed you as a person? And how has it changed like the way you look at the world and people? How has it changed you? Boy, uh, yeah. I, mean, I, got, you know, I, I hope this isn't the same answer you get all the time. I think you know, I think one, um, the way it's changed me, uh, um, grew up in a real small town in Wisconsin and I've always been, you know, relatively, you know, liberal about people and kind of understanding that people are people, but until you're like confronted with people, you don't really understand that people are truly just people, right? That like if, if Russian people pick uh, Chinese people, Cuban people, Mexican people, they're not our enemies, they're people. Governments are our enemies. That's that's who are our enemies. But I can get a beer unless you're an ass. You know, you know who are our enemies? An asshole. That's who's that's who our enemy is. A dumb, racist hillbilly who doesn't like gay people. That guy's my enemy. <laughs> and they're in right? every country. Right. Exactly. Right. They don't. You know, there's probably a guy a block and a half from my house. That guy's an asshole. Right. <laughs> but you know, I've had I've had drinks with people that I'm nothing like, and I've had a fantastic time, and I've I've uh, you know. Uh, my brain has expanded. My my, I, I'd like to think that I'm a kinder person because of travel. That I I cut people breaks. I, I don't think that poor people are poor because it's their fault. It's condition, and I don't know if all Americans think that way. Um, yeah, I think this just made me sort of a better person. Um, I have so much more knowledge. I, I think coupled with my reading, I don't go somewhere and just sort of 
checkbox things and go see the museum and see the square. And, you know, I, I don't, that's not how I travel. I tend to really try to sink into places. I'll, I'll read a lot about a place I go to. So it's sort of, I can sort of put the thread together on things now. So like, you know, like my own knowledge base on why things happen. So like, why is Cuba isolated? Why, why did that happen? And, you know, having gone there and seen it, but understanding why it happened and then tying that in with all of these other things that then, then that bled over into Guatemala and that bled into Honduras. And then why did these right wing strongmen get propped up by our government? And why does the American policies prop up these terrible people? Because we think that the right wing guy who is boiling, you know, rebels alive is better than, you know, communism or drugs or whatever boogeyman we have to be fighting. I, I'm not sucked in so much by narrative anymore because I've kind of seen it or I've read about it and kind of get to form my own opinion, I think. Um, and then there's things that are cross-cultural. Laughing is cross-cultural. I mean, you're a funny guy, Mike. It, you know, I, the first time I ever told a joke in Spanish and somebody laughed was phenomenal, right? <laughs> uh, facial gestures are, are, are cross, you know, cross-cultural. Um, uh, sadness, music, uh, People are people. That's the biggest thing that I think I've learned is, you know, and, and I'll have somebody like, oh, yeah, I'm glad that storm hit Cuba and screw those people. I'm like, they're people. They're just they're people, you idiot. Yeah. Um, and soccer is universal. Think, and soccer is universal. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think we like we gravitated to it. You know, it's one of the reasons we gravitated to it. It's the closest thing to a, a worldwide language that I've, I've run into. I've been surprised you haven't been to the World Cup, Mike. I've been to three. Oh, it's killing me. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's a celebration, man. I think one of the pictures I sent you is me uh, outside of one of the stadiums with a ticket uh, that was in the jungle up in uh, in Manaus, up in uh, up in the Brazilian I can't believe, jungle. I can't believe they built a stadium in that city. Oh, it's, that, it was ridiculous, right? I mean, what yep. was the point of that? They could have spent no, the money so much better. <laughs> yep, uh, and that was that was all fa- that was all fascinating up there. Uh, but I've been to three World Cups, and then this summer, uh, my son's graduating high school, and I'm taking him to the Euro. So uh, uh, in Germany, we got one game. We got one game. I'm seeing Slovakia against the winner of Group C. So my big game might be Slovakia v Iceland. So that'll be a. Ooh, a- how'd you get that ticket? That's a hot one. Uh, the lottery, man. That thing's <laughs> put in for eleven games, and I got one. Awesome. <laughs> it'll be great. But it's just about the party. Which, it is. Which city is it in? Uh, it's in Germany, so it's in like ten different sites in Germany. No, I know, so but I, which city is your game? Oh, in? Uh, Dusseldorf, I believe. Okay, I don't. I haven't so. spent too much time there, but it's all going to yeah. be fun. It's going to be a bash. It'll be fantastic, and, it, and then Germany does it well, where they do all the fan fests in the centers and okay. all that, where the center square they got all the beer tents and the big screens. Everybody watches the game, even though if there's not a game in the city, they show it all over the country. What so. you're telling me, it's going to be uh, run precision like in uh, Germany? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> It very well may be, maybe like prompt. clockwork on time. Yeah. Boy, well, if I was going to go to one, I mean, uh, I, I can imagine the Brazil one must have been uh, have its own bit of chaos in terms of like transportation and hotels. And, uh, you know, we heard the stories from that, but that, that ain't going to be the scene in, South, uh, in Germany. South Africa was like, you're taking like cattle cars to stadiums and stuff. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I was in South Africa. I toured the stadium in Cape Town about a month and a half before the world cup there. And, uh, I was looking around, it wasn't ready. It wasn't close to ready. And I was like, I don't think they're going to finish. (laughs) Yeah. I really didn't think they were going to finish. The airport was a disaster. Oh man. But they pulled it off somehow. Yeah. Well, we got it it here in 2026. So it'll be exciting. Yeah. That'd be great. Well, Bob, thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Um, I can't believe it took so long. Always good to see you, Mike. And anytime, man, if you have repeat guests, but I could talk to you about uh, travel anytime, buddy. And then when you're on Costa Rica, make sure you come down. 
I will, and for sure. And uh, I'm going to be in Chicago in April. Hopefully, we'll get together then. Yeah, let's get together after a Cubby game. Absolutely. We'll freeze our nuts off in an yeah. April <laughs> Wrigley game. Uh, it'll be great. Well, thanks for doing this. Bob Gillespie, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.